Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate that prayer this morning. This morning, I want to do something just a little bit different to start off. Um, before we get into the message this morning, I want to make an important announcement, one that you will be hearing much more about in the weeks to come. And that is, on the ballot in Michigan, this upcoming election is a very, very important ballot proposal. It is Proposal 3, which is called the Reproductive Freedom for All. Proposal 3, Reproductive Freedom for All. This is perhaps one of the most dangerous ballot proposals um, that we have seen in many, many years in the state of Michigan. According to Life Matters Worldwide, which is one of the mission agencies that we support, according to Life Matters Worldwide, if Proposal 3 passes, Michigan will become the most extreme pro-abortion state in the United States, exceeding even New York and California. We are going to urge you, as strongly as we know how, to vote no on Proposal 3. To vote no on Proposal 3. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, the reason we feel so strongly about this, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. The sanctity of life is taught clearly in the scriptures, and we have to do everything to make sure we get out and vote and to encourage everyone that we know to get out and vote and vote no on Proposal 3. So we're going to uh, have much more about that, more information for you uh, in the weeks to come, especially with the way things are now with early voting. We need to get that message out. So thank you for letting me share that with you this morning as we open the Word of God together. We continue in our study of the Gospel of John, and we come to chapter 19, and we'll look this morning at verses 31 through 42. John chapter 19 verses 31 through 42. This morning we are going to look at the burial of Jesus. Last week, for our communion time, we had perhaps one of the most appropriate passage of scripture we could possibly have for our communion time last week. We looked at the crucifixion of Christ in all of its horror, and yet in all of its glory. And we ended last week with verse 30, which says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I shared with you last Sunday morning, and I shared again yesterday at the funeral service that we had here, but those three words, it is finished, are the most important three words in all of history. Because Jesus had fully accomplished our salvation. But he bows his head, he gives up his spirit, and they bury him. And we read in verses 31 through 42, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. 
So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him. They will look on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Well, our first point this morning is prophecy fulfilled. The sufferings of Christ during the Passion Week and in his death fulfill at least 28 specific Old Testament prophecies. At least 28 specifically fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And these prophecies were written anywhere from 1,000 to 500 years before Christ came. And he fulfilled them perfectly, minutely. In fact, almost all of the prophecies are fulfilled in a, an approximately 24-hour period of time leading up to his crucifixion. And again, it reminds us as followers of Christ, as students of the word of God, that Jesus was indeed the prophesied lamb of God, the one prepared by God, sent by God, who specifically fulfilled the prophecies of God ordained in the Old Testament. Now, we are only going to look at a few of those prophecies this morning, but they are enough to continue to remind us and convince us about who Jesus really was and to show us his power over death, which becomes our hope, our great hope. After Jesus says, it is finished, he dies. It is important to the gospel that Jesus died a verifiable death. That is the main theme this morning. A little different than a lot of sermons you will hear in other passages but we need to know that Jesus died a verifiable death, and the Apostle John is going to do everything he possibly can to convince you this morning that Jesus actually died. It is essential to the gospel, essential to your salvation, that Jesus had an actual human body, that he actually died in that human body and that he was raised from the dead 
in the same body in which he died. I just want you to know that if that is not true, we are not saved. There is no salvation. Jesus does not conquer death unless he actually dies in a human body and is raised from the dead in the very same body in which he died. In verse 31, it says, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. According to the Jewish ceremonial law, if anyone hung on a tree, if they hung on a cross throughout the night, then the whole land of Israel would be defiled. And so it was imperative that if someone was hung on a cross, hung on a tree, if someone was crucified, that they die that day and that their body be taken down before the end of the day. This was especially true because this, well, let me go back and say, this was especially true for a Sabbath day. They definitely didn't want bodies hung overnight on the Sabbath because then the land would be even more defiled. And this is no ordinary Sabbath. This is the Sabbath of the Passover. That's why in parentheses it says, for that Sabbath was a high day. Excuse me. This was no ordinary Sabbath. This was Sabbath of the Passover, one of the highest and holiest days for all of Israel. They could not allow those bodies to be on the cross overnight. So the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. When someone was crucified, their legs would be slightly bent with their knees pointed out spikes in their hands and in their feet. And as you may know, the vast majority of people who died when crucified died from suffocation. They just simply couldn't breathe any longer, but they would try as long as they could, and so they would push themselves up with their legs, desperately trying to get any breath that they could. And so if you wanted to expedite their death, you would come and you would break their legs. Now, I won't go into all the details because it is so brutal. I mean, everything around a Roman crucifixion was, it's, it's almost, to us, hard to fathom, so inhumane, the whipping that they underwent, the beating. And we think of Jesus who had the spikes pressed into his head with the crown of thorns. And then the cruelties that we looked at last week, all the utter cruelties of the crucifixion itself. And now they would come and break their legs and they would take a mallet, a sledgehammer, and swing at their knees and just crush their knees so that they couldn't push up any longer and that they would die. And so in verse 32 it says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. So they break the legs of the two thieves who are crucified on either side of Jesus. But in verse 33, 
It says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. These soldiers come to Jesus and they realize that he is already dead. Now, I want you to understand this morning that these soldiers are professional killers. They had absolutely no compassion for Jesus. They had no mercy for Jesus. They didn't spare him this because their hearts felt sorry for him. No, they had already whipped him brutally. They had mocked him. They had spit on him. They had put the crown of thorns on him. They had crucified him. No, they see that he's dead. If anyone would know that he's dead, it would be these soldiers. In fact, John MacArthur says this is the number one evidence and proof. Verse 33, that Jesus is dead, that he is truly dead. In verse 34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. One of them, just wanting to make sure, pierces his side with a spear, which we will see in a little bit, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Blood and water came out, which was indicative of someone who had already died. But I want you to understand, the spear didn't kill Jesus, it just verified that he was already dead. That is important to this text. The thrusting of the spear didn't kill Jesus, it just proved that he was already dead. And so, in verse 35, we read, He who saw it has borne witness. He is a reference to the Apostle John. We saw last week that he was at the cross. He was at the very foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary, probably the only one of the apostles who was actually at the foot of the cross. He is the one who was a first-hand witness, and he is verifying for all of us that Jesus was dead. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe, so that you also may believe that Jesus is dead and that he is who he claimed to be. I am a first-hand verifiable witness. I was there. I was at the foot of the cross. And in verses 36 and 37, we see not only that Jesus is dead, but all of the details surrounding his death were the fulfillment of Scripture. Fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Verses 36 and 37. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. Psalm 34.20 says, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that when Messiah comes and Messiah dies... When he dies, not one of his bones will be broken. If you go to the book of Exodus and you look at the instructions to Israel for the, sacrifice, uh, excuse me, for the killing and eating of the Passover lamb, one of the instructions in the book of Exodus is that the Passover lamb's legs and bones can never be broken. 
none of its bones can be broken. And so Jesus is the ultimate final Passover lamb, and if he is to be the ultimate final Passover lamb, none of his bones can be broken. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Oh, the day is coming, Zechariah tells us, off into the future. But the house of David, Israel, the Jewish people, will one day look on the one that they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn and some and some among the Jewish people will embrace him as their savior because he is the exact fulfillment of the prophecy. So, I want you to see that Jesus in his death and his burial is actually dead. And it, he dies in such a way that he meticulously fulfills prophecies from the Old Testament. Our second point this morning is Joseph and Nicodemus, two courageous disciples of Jesus who were part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, prepared and buried the body of Jesus. In verse 38, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Joseph of Arimathea, if we put together all four Gospels, we learn that Joseph of Arimathea was a good man. That's what the Bible says. He was a righteous man. Matthew tells us that he was a rich man. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us, and very important, Luke tells us in his gospel that Joseph of Arimathea had not consented to the death of Jesus. So not everyone in the Jewish ruling council consented to the death of Jesus. But it says of Joseph that he was a disciple, but secretly, even Joseph, perhaps even Nicodemus, who we'll look at in just a minute, were secret disciples of Jesus, which tells us how fearful they were, how much intimidation and peer pressure there was on the Jewish people at this time, even those who were part of the ruling council. But something happens. Folks, something happens. The death of Jesus did something to Joseph, and it does something to Nicodemus. All of a sudden, these two secret disciples of Jesus become courageous. 
what they're doing here to take the body of Jesus and prepare it and bury it is incredibly courageous because the whole Jewish ruling council would know about this. Somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit had given them a courage that they did not have before, and they boldly, courageously come to take the body of Jesus. For Joseph of Arimathea to go to Pilate and ask for the body was courageous beyond our understanding. We saw this last week. I shared with you about the women who were at the foot of the cross. While most of the disciples were off somewhere else, probably watching but not right there, at the very foot of the cross where they could hear Jesus and he could speak to them, were these courageous, courageous women who followed Jesus to the utter end. And now we have these two men in these prestigious positions, and they're showing great courage for Christ, which ought to embolden and cause all of us to want to be like them, to be courageous like them. So he, Joseph asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in, in weight. And you remember, I know it's been many months ago now, that we looked at Nicodemus in John chapter 3, as Jesus tells him he must be born again. And remember, Nicodemus came to him by night. And now Nicodemus, so courageous with his brother in Christ, Joseph, they come and It is Nicodemus who brings this great amount of spices so that they can prepare the body for burial according to the Jewish custom. So it says in verse 40, So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Something wonderful is happening here. When someone was crucified, when someone underwent a Roman crucifixion, and as I've shared with you, this was reserved. A Roman citizen could never be crucified. This was reserved for the most horrible of all criminals. And when a person was crucified, they would then take their body, and they wouldn't even bury it. They would throw it in... A land they would throw it um, like in a, a junkyard they would just throw it out it would be like a piece of garbage they never got any kind of proper burial and so it's Joseph and it's Nicodemus who make sure that Jesus gets a proper burial and so they come they take the body They wrap it in spices and linen and prepare the body. In verse 41, it says, Now the place where he was crucified, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now if we go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us this is Joseph's tomb. This is Joseph's tomb. He was a wealthy man. And they put Jesus 
in this empty tomb that had never been used, Joseph's tomb. In doing that, they fulfill another prophecy. For in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, it says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. How could Jesus not only die among the wicked, crucified with two thieves, but his grave would be with a rich man in his death? It's because he was buried in the tomb of a rich man. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, fulfilling another of the Old Testament prophecies. And so we have these two courageous disciples. And it says in verse 42, So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They give him a proper and honorable burial because they were his followers. And so Jesus is dead. And they lay him in the tomb. As we come to the end of John chapter 19, there is a great historical and theological pause. We come to the end of verse 19, and all of a sudden, he's dead. He's in the tomb. The Son of God is dead. I want you to ponder that this morning. The Son of God is dead. They have laid him in a tomb. Spoiler alert. He rises from the dead. We're going to see that next week. Sorry if I ruined that for some of you. No, the reason I joke about it is this. We know that. Even unchurched people know that in the Bible it says that Jesus rose from the dead. But what we need to understand is his disciples did not yet understand that he was about to rise from the dead. They did not grasp that yet. That is true of the 11 apostles because Judas is gone. True of the women at the foot of the cross. True of Joseph and Nicodemus. At this point, if we try to put ourselves in their shoes, it appears that all hope was lost. This is a very dark moment for them. A very dark moment. Jesus is dead. They knew he was dead. And he has been laid in the tomb. But what they don't understand is that he had to die so that we could live. He had to die so that we could live. Jesus had to die so that he could dunk, excuse me, so that he could conquer death. He had to. Folks, I can't emphasize that enough. It was so important that he die in an actual human body so that he could overcome and conquer death for us forever. In the early part of the Christian church, there was a heresy that was quite prevalent called Docetism. Docetism taught, and it was really in kind of an offshoot of Gnosticism. Docetism taught that Jesus didn't actually have a human body. He just appeared to have a body. 
He was kind of like in a ghost-like body. So he never actually died. And of course, there have been all kinds of theories over the years that are offshoots of that, even up to this day. It says that Jesus only fainted, that Jesus went into a coma, but he didn't actually die. There are those liberal theologians today who preach in churches that Jesus died a spiritual death, but not a physical death. And he had a spiritual resurrection. Folks, I want you to understand so clearly this morning that if he didn't die, you're not saved. You are not saved. Jesus' suffering on the cross was real. His death was an actual death. He shed real blood, excuse me, he shed real blood to pay the real price for our real sin in order to grant us real forgiveness. I want to say to you again as emphatically as I can, Jesus had to die in an actual human body and be raised from the dead three days later in the exact same body in which he died. Again, more on that next Sunday. But that is absolutely crucial and imperative to your salvation. In just a few minutes, as Daryl mentioned, we're going to close with that great hymn of the faith in Christ alone. I want you to think very, very carefully about those words as you sing them this morning. Let's pray together. Father, death of Jesus. We thank you that he died so that we, or excuse me, so that he could overcome sin and death. Remind us constantly. Oh, Father, remind us constantly that he died our death in our place so that we might live forever through him. In Jesus' name, amen.